0: Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available? Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have the CEO, Brad Bourne, from Ferran Technology Group. Ferran trades on the TSX exchange under the symbol FTG. The company is currently trading at $2.25, with roughly 25 million shares outstanding, or about a $55 million market cap. I now extend it over to Paul Andreola thanks a lot trevor um uh, welcome brad happy to have you here um fran technologies is a company that I've, I've sort of known of for a number of years but never really had the chance to, to talk to you so um thanks for joining us today um why don't we just dive right into it uh, you've got a presentation with you uh why don't you tell us all about uh, fran technology
1: sure okay happy to do that uh, that's why i'm here so um Quick, uh, quick disclaimer that uh, some of these things I will say today have forward-looking statements, so keep that in mind as you listen to me. Um, let me start with a quick overview of the company. Um, very simple description of the company. Um, FTG's market focus is all about aerospace and defense, and we describe our company as an aerospace and defense electronics company. We really have two product groups and two businesses uh, within FTG. Uh, We do cockpit products and that runs under the name FTG Aerospace and we do printed circuit boards that runs under the name FTG Circuits, but in both cases, the market focus is aerospace in effect. The FTG of today, geographically, uh, we have seven sites around the world. Uh, We started in Toronto and basically in all but one situation, we're paired up. So in Toronto, we have an FTG Circuits business and an FTG Aerospace business, about 10 minutes apart. In Chatsworth, California, which is basically a suburb of LA, uh, we have two buildings side by side. Uh, Again, one doing circuit boards, one doing cockpit products. Um, In China, we have two operations, both in Tianjin, China, about 10 minutes apart. The one that's called FTG Printronics, it's a joint venture doing circuit boards. And we have a wholly owned subsidiary in Tianjin doing cockpit products. And lastly, in 2019, we bought another business in Fredericksburg, Virginia doing circuit boards and that's now FTG Circuits Fredericksburg. Um, As you can see in in the little box in the bottom right, uh, sales in 2021 was 80 million, uh, down significantly from our high, which was 112 million in 2019, which was before the pandemic. Uh, And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, 450 employees, 24 and a half million common shares outstanding. Oak West is my largest shareholder, followed by me. And then some of the other management directors also own some shares. Uh, from a customer perspective, so this is for the FTG Aerospace business, uh, the cockpit products. The heart of our business is the tier one avionics companies, Raytheon Technologies, Honeywell, GE, Avic in China. We also supply cockpit products directly into the airframe manufacturers. And then in the other, other categories, a, a mixture of things, but really I'd say the key in the other category is really where we supply cockpit products into the simulator market. Similarly for our circuits business, the heart of the business is the center bucket. Again, the tier one avionics guys, you'll see the same companies, Raytheon, Honeywell, GE. Uh, We also supply into the space market for circuit boards. That's the left-hand bucket. And then just the nature of the business with circuit boards, we also supply into the contract manufacturers uh, who typically are doing assembly work on behalf of the Tier 1 avionics guys. Um, Important economics of FTG. Uh, We are a manufacturer. Uh, We have about 30% fixed costs, about 70% variable costs. That can be good news or bad news. Uh, Basically, as we grow the business, the fixed costs don't change, so we can expand our margin pretty rapidly as we grow the business. Uh, Conversely, if a pandemic hits and your revenue does shrink, it can hurt because your fixed costs um, remain fixed. and then the other important factor for us is the exchange rate. Uh, notwithstanding, we do business in Canada and the US and China, almost all of the aerospace industry around the world is denominated in US dollars. And so the exchange rate, particularly for my Canadian sites, can impact um, our profitability. The good news is you know, anything from $1.25 up, um, I'm really happy with that exchange rate and we can make some good money in Canada at that rate. Um, have to talk a little bit about the pandemic. Uh, we are in the aerospace business. The pandemic did impact uh, air travel. Uh, if you look at this slide, this is a number of people through USA, USTSA checkpoints, just as a, as a in indicative measure of, of how travel was impacted. So the green line was travel or number of people through checkpoints in 2019. It kind of ranged about two and a half million people a day. 2020 is the red line. Um, it went virtually to zero, obviously hurt the industry. And then 2021 is uh, how it's been coming back. It's not quite, uh, not quite back to where it was in 2019, but it's certainly the air travel has picked up. Uh, we're not directly impacted by air travel, but we are impacted because as air travel picks up, uh, the aerospace industry picks up and people buy planes and people buy spare parts for planes. And it certainly does impact us. Um, the other thing that impacts us uh, probably more directly is uh, aircraft deliveries. This is just uh, a little bit of data from the two big guys in, in the industry, Airbus and Boeing. Uh, the blue bars on this chart are number of aircraft delivered by Airbus, and you can see 2019 was actually a record for them ever in the history of the world. It dropped off about 30 to 30 to 40 percent in 2020, and then slowly coming back. Uh, so that was. Painful. Uh, Boeing, much more painful. Um, they were impacted by the pandemic, but right on top of that, Boeing was impacted by their challenges around the 737 MAX and the accidents. And so their deliveries were down more like 80% uh, at their low. And so those those two things together really, really impacted the, the whole aerospace industry. Um, so, what did we do? You know, we had to get through the pandemic, we had to get through these challenges. We had three key strategies and, and, you know, I think in the end they were they were well thought out and they really, really helped us. First one is uh, we we have had and we maintain a market diversification strategy. That might sound a little bit unusual as I talked about, we're, you know, we're focused on aerospace and defense, but our diversification is we try to play in all the market segments. So by that I mean commercial air transport, so that's the Boeing and Airbus guys. Uh, we play in the business jet market, the general aviation market, the helicopter market, <clears throat> excuse me, the simulator market, and the defense market. And we have seen over the years all those markets move in their own cycles. And if you play across all of them, you have a more stable revenue stream. Um, it's good we did that, but you know, certainly the drop in the air transport market you know, was a big drop. And so we, we survived it, but it's definitely impacted us more than what we've seen from other segments. So that was one item. second one is we managed our, our costs across the company. Uh, we had no idea going into the pandemic what was going to happen and how it was going to play out. So we just really was were very careful in, in managing costs. But the one thing we did do um, through the whole pandemic, we did not lay off any employees. We did not reduce our skill set. We maintained our, all our skills really through access of, of government support programs in both Canada and the US and even China. And the third one was we carefully managed our balance sheet uh, and amazingly at the end of the pandemic our balance sheet is the strongest it's ever been in the history of the company Uh, and then the little note at the bottom the only thing i would say is you know this is clearly a good defensive play a defensive strategy we played defense for two years it's good to play defense but there's more to more to a game more to business than just playing defense so looking forward beyond that, uh, beyond COVID-19. Um, as I just said, you can't win if you only play defense. Uh, you can tie a game, but you can't win. So, you know, we are, we're moving to playing some offense. We are being aggressive. Um, our balance sheet certainly has put us in a great position to be aggressive, aggressive in chasing work, investing in technology, winning new work. Um, and we're going to keep doing And, and corporate development, um, looking at, at future acquisitions. Uh, And I'd say, you know, we can already see some of the the benefits of this. Uh, So our goal is certainly to outperform the market as as we look forward by really taking advantage of of our financial strength at this moment. Um, Speaking of financial performance, so, you know, you can look at this as good news or bad news. Uh, You know, a little bit frustrating, I'd say, from my side, but it's part of life. Um, You know, we had a great trend of growth through 2019. We seem to give it all back through the pandemic. Uh, So that's the frustrating part. But as I said earlier, I think we're well positioned now to uh, really recover that and and get back on a a solid and aggressive growth curve. Uh, And EBITDA really followed the same thing. Uh, EBITDA generally has grown or or shrunk uh, more dramatically than than the revenue change. The the one benefit for us, as I said, is in 2020 and 2021, we had government assistance that really supported us and again, allowed us to maintain our skilled workforce across the company so we could really grow um, as things do start to recover. Uh, investments, uh, we have always you know, really reinvested in the business. Uh, as it says, over the last six years, the chart actually has seven years in it, but over the last six years, we have invested $80 million back into the business. The investment's a combination of R&D. Product development, process development, is an investment in capital and investment in corporate development, acquisitions, and such. Uh, and the, you know, the the impressive thing, and uh, you know, we're we're very proud of this of the uh, $80 million we have invested in the business, six of it was an equity raise, the rest of it was funded from operations. Our balance sheet, as I've already said, but this shows it is the strongest it's ever been. The green bar is working capital. Uh, and we manage it, uh, so we're not trying to have excessive working capital, but we have really strong working capital. And then the red turning to gold bar is our net cash on the balance sheet. Uh, we have the highest net cash we ever had at the end of 2021. It was about $15 million. Uh, on top of that, we have another $20 million bank facility. So you know, we really believe we're well positioned to be able to uh, do everything we want to do to grow the business and make it better. Uh, operating performance. This is uh, probably my most important slide. Uh, it takes a little bit to explain, but we have a four-piece strategy to drive FTG financial performance. Uh, the first one is just operating performance. So you know, within each of the sites we have, we always and continuously look at costs. We look at efficiencies. Um, we are a manufacturer at the end of the day. We make, we make our money by building and shipping product. Uh, and being a manufacturer, uh, costs and efficiencies is is critical to your performance. Uh, Second one is growth. As I said right at the beginning, or the FTG economic slide, that we have a big fixed cost. So if I can grow the top line, I can really expand my margins. So we continue to look at ways to grow the business. And I have a slide coming up on that in one minute. Um, We also are looking at Pursuing higher margin business segments within what we look at, Um, the one we're most interested in these days, and it's been a little bit of a challenge uh, due to the pandemic, but is we're looking at ways to do more in the aftermarket part of the business, which definitely has higher margins than in in the general production. And then lastly, uh, looking at acquisitions um, to drive financial growth and financial performance. On the growth side of things, this is a slide we've used for a long time, but um, we have six elements or six initiatives to grow the business. First one is just market or industry growth. Uh, that obviously was a bit of a challenge, but is starting to grow now. So we can we can ride that growth. Uh, important way to change your market share is to win content on new programs. And we have a good track record on doing that over the last many years. Uh, third one, operational excellence is just perform for the customers. All our customers, as I said earlier on, are the big tier one. Uh, avionics, you know, global in, uh, multinational avionics companies. They have a simple approach to life. If you're a good supplier, you get more work. And if you're a bad supplier, you get less work. So we put a lot of effort into being a good supplier. Uh, we invest in technology that really supports our ability to get on new programs. We have a global solution. So we can offer a solution out of Canada, US or China. And then lastly, growth through acquisitions. Um, On the technology side, it's a complicated slide, but for our circuits business, our simple description of this is we wanna be a one-stop shop for all aerospace and defense circuit boards. Uh, Circuit boards are probably more complex than you would realize. So there's many different technologies within that. But again, all of my customers are large companies. They all seem to have a, a strategy these days of simplifying their supply chain by spending more with fewer suppliers. If you can offer more than the next guy, you're more likely to be one of the guys they want to consolidate their spend into. So we put a lot of time and effort into that over the years. On the aerospace side or cockpit products, a bit of a different strategy. Um, when I first got here, we supplied cockpit panels. Uh, we now have consistently and regularly moved up the, the value chain and you know we now supply a lot of electronic assemblies into cockpits, which is a full box level assembly with Know, with displays, with um, microprocessors inside, but the complete assembly. And that, that can change your revenue per cockpit by you know a factor of 10 or more by offering the higher value product. And then lastly, um, growth through acquisitions. This is just a timeline of various acquisitions and, and corporate development initiatives we've done. I'm not going to go through them all, but Generally, every couple of years, we have tried to move forward in some way by making FTG bigger, either by, you know, in some cases, we're expanding our footprint to the U.S. or expanding our footprint into China. In some cases, we're trying to add some technology, but all of these have helped us drive the company, um, you know, through a, a growth rate that, again, exceeds uh, what, what the market is typically achieving. Uh, If we look forward on acquisitions, uh, we're still interested, definitely. Uh, We do not want to go beyond our current uh, market and product focus. We believe we can continue to grow the business uh, within aerospace and defense, and specifically within circuit boards and cockpit products. Uh, Reasons for acquisitions can be adding a technology piece expanding geographic coverage such as Europe for commercial aerospace or Europe or India or any of the other top 10 countries outside the U.S. for defense. Um, it could be to accelerate our penetration of the aftermarket segment I mentioned. It could be to drive up plant utilization. And in all cases, you know, we've been very uh, disciplined and structured to make sure that any deal we do is a, at an attractive price, attractive multiple, and would be accretive to earnings. Uh, so... Quick summary, uh, the last two years have been tough. Uh, market demand was down, operational challenges were, were across the company, um, and by that, I mean just you know employees contracting COVID, and we had lots of uh, people who had time off as a result of that, that impacted our operations, but we've got through it. Um, we will now leverage our balance sheet and to invest in our operations, invest in technology, invest in growth. And the last one there, um, if anyone had noticed, we did announce uh, a, few, a month or so ago that we have an NCIB in place, really just to support um, you know, shareholder value in the short term. Uh, but for sure, in all of these cases, we're going to play offense going forward. So hopefully that gives you a quick Understanding what we're all about. Happy to now address questions.
0: That's perfect. No, thank you so much, Brad. Um, just uh, one one question that comes to mind right away is um, just generally, what's what's your sort of addressable market? How how big is your your opportunity as as it stands right now?
1: Sure. Um, good question. And then I'll I'll talk about that against the two separate businesses on on circuit boards. Um, It appears that it's hard to get uh, your arms around it, but the quick answer is the North American aerospace and defense market for circuit boards is about a billion dollars and the rest of the world is about another billion. Uh, So 2 billion in total. Cockpit products, the same thing, it's very hard to, or you get many different definitions of cockpit products, but at the end of it all, the way we look at it right now, I would say it's a very similar market size globally. So that's why I say, you know, lots of room for us to grow within these market segments uh, for the foreseeable future.
0: And Greg, give us a sense of how, how's, how does sales work? Like, um, do, you, do you sell, you know, a dozen of these circuit boards? Do you sell, um, you know, every time there's a plane, I, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, how, how do you, how do you make yeah, a sale? And what does it look like when you ship it?
1: It's, it, it, definitely our business on the day-to-day business is a very high-mix, low-volume business. I, out of any one of our plants, if I, I'm in Toronto, if I looked at our Circus Toronto plant, I, easily I ship 30 different part numbers every day. And so I'm shipping fives and tens of, of those. Um, and that generally goes across FTG. But you know, having said that, you know how do we sell? The, what we really like to do, um, we love to get involved when new aircraft are being developed. Uh, and you have to be patient, and, and this is not a, a fast strategy, but if, and, and I'll give you my favorite example, so the Boeing 787, you know, it's been around for a little while now, but um, we built prototype circuit boards for the Boeing 787 back in 20, 2006, um, and we were supplying circuit boards in this case to GE, who was doing the main computer system for that plane, and um, it was a tough circuit board and they had a lot of requirements on it. This is a system that ties all the other systems to the plane together. So if, if this fails, the plane comes out of the sky. So it's kind of critical. So it had a lot of reliability requirements on it. Um, and they went around the world to get a supplier for the circuit board. Um, and through their process, at the end of it all, there was one company in the world that got approved and that was us. Um, so that's the good news. Uh, but that plane did not go into production until 2012. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was a six year process from the beginning to start a production. And then it became a, you know, one to $2 million a year revenue stream for what we do for them. Uh, so, you know, it's a good outcome, but it's a long process. Uh, and it's exactly the way we like to sell in that case. You know, we're not selling based on price. We're selling based on our capability to meet tough aerospace requirements. Mm
0: -hmm. And then give, give me a sense of what the competition looks like. Um, what who, who are you facing? How big are they? And you know what, what makes you better?
1: Yeah. Um, so again, I'll, I'll talk about them separately. Uh, on the circuit board side, uh, they're it's a, a shockingly fragmented market. So I say it's a two billion dollar a year market. Um, the biggest guy in aerospace and event circuit boards is a company out of the U.S. called TTM. Uh, they have operations in the U.S. and in China and in Canada. So, but, you know, similar to us, but much bigger. Their, their total sales, I think, around $2.5 and, and they do about $400 million a year in aerospace and defense. But so, you know, that's the biggest guy. Then there's a handful of people that are in the next group, of which I would lump FTG. And I'm going to say there's another four or five of us. Um, and we're the next level down. Uh, you know, we have similar technology uh, and we can compete and we can win on you know, new programs and we see all the same guys pretty regularly, but they're, you know, we're reasonable businesses, we know what we're doing. And then there's just a million little guys after that, right down to, you know, there's probably a few hundred owner operator businesses that do some aerospace and defense, but they don't have the financial strength to invest in the technology, so they're really on legacy programs. Um, and that's where they're gonna stay. Uh, and I'd say the cockpit product business, a little bit less fragmented, uh, but again, it, you at know, the top end, there's again, five or six companies of which I would put us in there of guys that are capable of, of supplying product onto the new programs and have the technology to be able to you know, support what people need for n- new aircraft these days.
0: Mm-hmm um let's talk a little bit about your financials um i mean clearly you've got plenty of cash for for your size um it looks like orders are starting to or at least revenues are starting to go in the right direction but i i noticed on one of your press releases that you guys talk about bookings maybe maybe give us a sense of what what that looks like and really what what is a booking for you and what does the outlook look like
1: right right sure and i, I mean that's Different, you know, when I talk about sales and trying to get a new platform like Boeing 787, that, that's getting qualifying and getting approved on that. When when we talk about bookings, that is parts where we have firm orders with firm delivery dates. And typically it's a it's a pretty short timeline. It varies by business. But if I look at again my circus Toronto site, their lead times run eight to 12 weeks. And so we don't enter orders until eight to 12 weeks before they're due. And so we're looking at that sort of timeline on on bookings that we're counting. In in the cockpit products side of our business, the the lead times can go out more into the three to six month range. So we might have a multi-year contract for something, but we're only counting a booking when it's entered in the system with a firm delivery date against our lead time.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, good. Um, And then, I mean, you're you're looking at it for a bit of M&A. Um, you know, what, one question I always like to ask is, is what um, what sort of new products or new initiatives or new directions are, do you want to see the business go? Yeah.
1: Um, are you connecting that to M&A? The-
0: well, yeah, because sometimes I, I imagine if you want to go into a certain direction, you do that rather than build it, you buy it.
1: Right. I'm just trying to get
0: a sense. You, you guys have a pretty... Um, you know, defined market you're going after, but is there anything new that you want to sort of capture?
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, I'll, I'll give you a few examples, and, and we're probably doing, as I think through them, some are potential for m and and some are potential internal investments in terms of R&D. Um, so... I, somewhere in, in my talk, I talked about I want to expand my revenue coming out of the aftermarket. So that's not a new technology, but it's a new market segment. Mm-hmm. And really, in that case, you're typically not selling into the tier one avionics guys. You're selling into the airline industry through distributors and such. So you know that's something we have the product. We don't really have the distribution for it. So an acquisition to help us accelerate our penetration of the aftermarket would certainly be something we're interested in. In our cockpit products as I showed we moved up the value chain uh, which I, I think has been great for us but the one area from a technology perspective we're not where I want to be it is in the actual glass display technology particularly as it relates to touch screen now there's hmm. you know, touch screen is something very new to aircraft because there's a whole series of safety issues around touch screens and that but it's coming and it, it's actually in in some aircraft these days so you know, If there was an acquisition that could accelerate my technology offering and display and touchscreen capability, that would be of interest to me. On, on the circuit board side, this is not an acquisition um, opportunity, but the one thing I believe is gonna happen on circuit boards is the manufacturer of circuit boards is gonna move from the traditional process to more of an additive manufacturing process where You know, right now we start with copper everywhere and we remove all the copper we don't want. But I believe it's like so many manufacturing processes, it's going to move to just put copper where you want it. And it's better for the environment and it's less costly and it gives you better results. And so we are investing in additive technologies in our circuits business on an internal uh, R&D project right now. I think it's a long term project. I don't know where it's going to end, but I believe one day it will be important to our business.
0: Now, Brad, we, we hear so much about chip shortages and component shortages. Um, are, are you are you subject to that? or Are you, you know, part of the problem? I don't want to sound like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, right. it, where, where, where do you guys fit into that?
1: Yeah, I, we're not part of the problem. Um, we are a little bit impacted by it. Again, more in our cockpit product business where we are, uh, you know, we are definitely providing electronic assemblies. And, we, you know, we have seen... A handful of times where components have been pushed out or delayed by a few months uh, due to shortages. Uh, it, it's not been a substantial impact to the business, but it's it's a nuisance, I would say, for us.
0: And then, you know, again, going back to sort of uh, called growth opportunities and new opportunities, um, you guys are in obviously a couple different verticals. Where do you see the bigger opportunities? I, I'm, Uh, you know, defense seems like such a hard thing to predict. Airlines, certainly you get a better sense of, you know, when the economy is strong or weak, you tend to see up and down there. But uh, how how can you guide us in terms of what the different verticals kind of, what what you're sort of expecting from
1: Yeah. And it's, I'm with you. It's tough to predict it, which is partly why, you know, I want to be in different segments because, you know, they all go through their own cycles. And, you know, so when something's ramping, I certainly want to be part of it. Uh, But I I guess the other thing I would say is the, the industry is interesting that you can get a production rate from a Boeing or Airbus for 2022 and probably through most of 2023 today. So, you know, if you want to get a feel for what your production rates are going to be or what your revenue opportunity is going to be on existing programs, it's actually pretty easy to go out and look out at least a year and understand what's coming. Now, if another pandemic hits, everything changes. But on a normal day-to-day basis, um, the visibility is pretty good. Similarly, on defense, with one little caveat, I mean, defense programs are typically decade-long programs. Um, The only... Thing that can catch you on a defense program is, you know, they're all—it's all government funding, and certainly the the government that matters is the U.S. government, and they typically do funding on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. So you're funded through a year. Uh, you think you know what's going to happen next year, unless something happens in Congress. Um, mm-hmm. So every once in a while, you can get surprised in a good or bad way. But uh, other than that, again, it's it's pretty good. It's got a pretty good long horizon in terms mm-hmm. of what you can expect.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, one of the questions that came in from our listeners is uh, related to that. It says, how does it work when you build for defense, i.e., if you sell to the U.S. Department of Defense, can you sell the same product to other countries?
1: Um, Yes, there's anything defense related is going to have some amount of export control regulations around it. And depending on what you're working on, it can have, you know, limited uh, export control or a lot. Um, and you know, there's some product we make in, in our US sites that is for US only programs. And even you know, if I go to the US site, I cannot see it. Um, and so some of it is very controlled, um, but a lot of it, uh, the US, you know, part of their strategy is they certainly build lots of different aircraft and product for themselves, but they have a whole foreign military sales um, activity going on in the US. So their goal is to sell it to other countries. Uh, and it does create uh, sales opportunities for us um, on a regular basis. And, you know, sometimes we have to be involved in the export control or, you know, the export of the technology. In some cases, we're just riding on the coattails of one of the tier one guys who's, you know, we're really just supplying them product and they're, sub- they're exporting it to the other countries. Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
0: Um, okay, so listen, another question that came in uh, in regard to something that happened at your uh, uh, AGM, uh, which is, according to this uh, comment, is unusual and rare event uh, Your one of your directors was voted out, Um, any, any comment in regards
1: to that? Um, yes, yes, it is an unusual event. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, we, we tried a lot to understand that, to, to be honest with you, and there seems to have been a little bit of concern with, you know, about FTG and, you know, it's surprising to me, but our remarkably strong balance sheet has been seen as, as a bit of a weakness in some way by some shareholders. Um, and only in that, you know, the the cash on the balance sheet is not deployed and not genera- generating return. And therefore, why don't you do things like buybacks or, you know, the NCIB or do something with it? And, you know, valid comments and then, I don't think it was fair but somehow that there's a series of shareholders that decided that the director that got voted out was the guy who had the most capital markets knowledge and he should have been the guy to make sure we deployed our cash and did the right things on capital allocation and so he got tagged um, I don't think it was fair to him um, I'm not I'm not also, not totally on side with the concept of, you know, the right thing to do is, is just buy back our own shares. Because I our history has been we're going to deploy the cash to grow the business and we're going to deploy the cash to do acquisitions. And that, for sure, that's my number one choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never have been in this situation before where I had so much cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's good. But I know for sure we have to get it deployed. And we are working mm-hmm. on that.
0: And I would argue that that was probably about a year ago, because now every business that has excess cash is looked at a lot more favorably than it was uh, a while yeah. ago, now that, uh, you know, interest rates are going higher and uh, the right, right. price is going down. Um, Brad, what, what, what other challenges does the business face? What, what sort of keeps you up at night, if I can say that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... And that was saying what I said about COVID. I, I'm still amazed that I, you know, I, it doesn't, it's not my number one panic, but at the same time, I would say we still have one to two cases a week, uh, somewhere in FTG. And mm. I just, I just really want it behind us. Um, and so, you know, it's not, that's not going to impact our operations, but I just can't believe yet that, um, you know, it's not totally gone from, from something we talk about. Uh, and you know even if you go to an FTG site today we still require masks at every FTG site if you're not locked in an office like I am right now Um, and so I just I wish that was behind us Um, but you know as I say it might not be the number one thing Um, what keeps me up at night I just there's so much going on uh, which is a great thing but just making sure that we move it all forward and getting across the goal line I was I was on vacation the last two weeks I came back I have a list of 30 things that just we got to get done. And, you know, probably half of them are sales opportunities where they're, you know, we're in, we're in the red zone. We're, but we got to get it across the goal line mm-hmm. or if this is Canada, we got to get the puck in the net. Uh, but, you know, we, we, uh, there, there's a lot close. There's some great opportunities. I'm excited by it all, but we just got to make sure we don't take our eye off the ball and, you know, we just get things done. Uh, so yeah. it's, you um, uh, I like it, but I, you know, that keeps that keeps me worried that there's so much going on. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I just got another question in here. It says, given the tension between Canada and China, how comfortable are you with relationships with your Chinese partners? Um.
1: Yeah, I, I'd say the tension. Actually, the tension never impacted us as much as I thought it would. You know, certainly back when there was uh, the Huawei issue, and then you know the uh, the two Michaels that were held in China that never seemed to really surface in any discussions. Our biggest challenge has always been the, chal- the, the tension between the US and China. Mm. Um, and even today, you know, we, are, we work on different strategies and, and ways to minimize tariffs. There is mm. the tariff war that started between the US and China has now, it goes both ways. Um, you know, there's product I'm building in China that, that gets a tariff if it goes in the U.S. and there's the components I need from the U.S. to build stuff in China and it gets a tariff going into China. And that's my biggest challenge in, in doing business with China these days. Um, and, you know, it's certainly manageable. It's a financial issue. It's, it's mm-hmm. not a political issue at this point, but it's certainly something that uh, takes up, you know, time and attention to try to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
0: Um, listen, Brad, we're, we're near the end here. Um, as investors sort of looking at the business right now, what do you think are the, the sort of the key catalysts or maybe even metrics that we should follow to sort of make sure that the, the company is sort of executing on, the, on this business plan that you have?
1: Um, really, it's, if you touched on, you know, backlog. So mm-hmm. the leading indicator for us is backlog. Uh, so if our backlog is growing on a sequential basis, that should be seen as, as growing demand. Uh, and right behind that is just sequential growth in revenue. Um, you know, the, the market is coming back. The production rates are going up. Um, you should see uh, revenue growth on a sequential basis from us. Um, and then... You know, as I said, that is, as we grow revenue, we we get a bigger lift on EBITDA. And so if we're performing operationally and achieving the efficiencies uh, that we believe we should, you should see an EBITDA growth faster than the revenue growth.
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, listen, is, is there any parting message or key takeaway that you want everybody to walk away with today about the business?
1: Yeah, I think I've said it, but it really is, you know, that FTG definitely had a tough two years, um, and, it, you know, that happens in business. Um, it was certainly, a, you know, we did not predict and did not plan for a pandemic, but it happened. I think we did a, I think we did a good job of managing our way through it, uh, and we are through it, and so now I do believe we are well positioned through all the things I've talked about to uh, really get back on a growth curve. Uh, and and really surprise people with how we can perform going forward. Um, I'm excited about it. You know, I'm hoping we can, uh, in a disciplined way, add some acquisitions as well as, as we move forward. It's just, uh, you know, this. I think is a good time uh, to be an FTG investor. If you look at insider trading, you would see I bought some shares in the last week because I believe that and I had to get it done before I got blacked out. So, um, uh, and it's... Um, Uh, For some reason, we always hit every screening tool in the world for a value investment. Um, We are trading at at shockingly low multiples. uh, And given the strength of our balance sheet, given our earnings, I I really believe we're a good investment. Uh,
0: I don't necessarily disagree. I, I, uh, I like what you said there. Um, Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Brad. Um, We've been speaking with uh, CEO Brad Bourne, a friend technology group, FTG is the symbol on the TSX. Um, I want to thank you for joining us today and certainly look forward to catching up to you uh, in the near future.
1: Thank you, Paul. Thank you, everyone.